0: Well, today we start a new series, the book of Nehemiah, and I've titled this series, Building Your Future, because it's really about building each and every one of our future, our walk with Christ. How can we grow to become more like Jesus? How can we have a vision for our life and accomplish what God has for each and every one of us? And we're going to do that by studying Nehemiah. It's an eight-week series. I challenge you to come all eight weeks, and if you happen to miss one, I know some of the ladies are going to be on a retreat in a couple of weeks, well then catch it online, because we're going to go verse by verse through the book. We will skip some parts that are a bunch of lists of names, but other than that, we're going, to, we're going to go through. And so today we're going to cover chapter one, and I've titled this uh, message today, Problems to Prayer. Problems to Prayer. Because in the book of Nehemiah, there's 12 prayers listed and we're actually going to be studying one of them and learning some things on how we can improve our prayer life. Now, the book of Nehemiah was set at a time where the people of Israel, most of them were in exile. They were taken by Babylon, and then Babylonians were overtaken by the Medo-Persian Empire. And at this point in time of Nehemiah, the Persians were kind of in control. And there's a king, Artaxerxes, that's who Nehemiah was working for. So let me just set the stage for you before we even start. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. You'll find that in the very last part of chapter 1. It says he was a cupbearer to the king. Now what does that mean, he was a cupbearer to the king? It wasn't that he just handed the, the king a, a cup every time he needed it. A cupbearer in those days would eat some of the food and drink some of the drink And they would all watch him to make sure he didn't die. Really, it was a great job to have, right? So you would, it was like your secret service to the king. Because the king had to really trust this guy. And he had to be a person of character, a person of integrity. But Nehemiah was a Jewish person. He was actually born in captivity. He had never been to Israel Even though he knew all about it, he had never been to Jerusalem, you're going to see that in a moment, but he actually had a lot of influence with the king, because he was constantly with the king. The king had to know that, man, this is a guy who, I have to trust him with my life, and so forth, because in those days, that's one of the ways that people on the inside would try to kill a king, is, is through poison, and so this is what's happened during this time. There was a remnant that had gone back to Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple. And you can read all about that in the book of Ezra. But the book of Nehemiah takes place 14 years after the book of Ezra. It's actually, chronologically, one of the last books written in the Old Testament. Also, it is probably one of the best books in the Bible on leadership. So any of you in leadership of any type, we all are in some way, some level of influence. It's a great book book to learn leadership principles. So I'm really excited to get into it. I think it's also a book that brings personal revival, and we all need revival, don't we? So you're in Nehemiah. Let's jump into it. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year while I was at the citadel of Susa. Well, let me just take a little time to talk about that. The month of Keslev would have been late November, early December in the Jewish calendar. Why that's important is you're going to find out next week. But he's going to pray for four months before he does any action. We'll know that by the month that's mentioned next week. So he's in this month of Keslev. The 20th year means the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. So he's a Persian king. And it says it was in the citadel of Susa. Susa was the winter palace for the king of Persia. It's in modern-day Iran today. In fact, they have huge archaeological discovery of Susa. It's just not able to be very accessible because it's in Iran, not not an open country and so forth. But that was what was happening in this time. Let me just show you a a timeline so you can picture where this takes place. 1,400 years before Jesus, the Israelites went into the Promised Land. Remember, Moses died, Joshua took him across, they went across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, into Israel, after being slaves and wandering. Then you have the books of Joshua, Judges, through Second Chronicles during that period of time. Then Israel was captured. They were exiled. And then that would happen at 600 B.C. That's where you get the book Daniel and Esther were written during those times. Then in 445, that's where we're at today in this story. That's the book of Nehemiah. The walls of Jerusalem are going to be rebuilt. That's where we're at. And you can see the birth of Christ. Uh, Some say it was 3 BC. This one happened to say 6 BC. They don't know exactly the the final year or the year that Jesus was born, but it was somewhere in that time frame. And these dates are approximate. So now you kind of know where it's at. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So obviously he knew he had interest in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish person, Nehemiah was, and his brother had been there with these men. And he wanted to know, how were these people doing? Some people had gone back. At this time, the temple was rebuilt by a guy named Zerubbabel. Ezra had gone there to establish worship back as a priest. But he's really curious, how are the people doing there? Now you're going to see in a moment that he's going to get a bad report. And I just want you to also understand something that is so important for us. Why did Israel get exiled in the first place? These were God's people. He put them in the promised land. He parted the Red Sea to get them out of Egypt. He parted the Jordan River to get them in there. He fought all these battles for them. Remember the walls of Jericho? He was their God. Why would God allow Israel to be taken into captivity? We know the northern kingdom went to Assyria, the southern kingdom was the Babylonians and then the the Persians. But why did this happen? I want you to see a pattern that's found throughout Scripture. And this pattern is still happening in our lives today. Let's start at the top. Let's start with God's blessings. God blesses us. Isn't that where we all want to live? In the blessings of God? That's the great place to start, right? But you know what? When God's pouring out his blessings on us, we actually are at a bit of a danger. Because pretty soon we can get distracted. We can no longer, we may start, God may not be quite as important. Now that we have all this money, now we can do all this other stuff, and pretty soon we're not serving God, we're not attending church regularly, we've got all this other cares to take care of, and we begin to forget God. And it happened so subtly. And this happened time and time again throughout the Bible. Just read the historical books of the Bible and you'll see this pattern. This this is what happened. So the people were forgetting God. They got maybe even idolatry, which leads them then to the next one, bondage and oppression. This is the consequences of sin. It's not like God's up there like, I'm ready to punish these people. But he is like, I'm going to provide discipline. I don't want them to sin successfully. And so what happens is people come under some bondage. They feel the oppression of of forgetting God in that situation. It's not a good place to be at. And then what happens is people sometimes come to their senses. Think of the prodigal son. He came to his senses. They repent. And we begin to seek God again. And as we repent, we say, oh, I'm on the wrong path of life. I know I've blown it. I'm away from God. I need to find my way back to God. They begin to seek God. What's God do? He's such a loving, forgiving God. He provides deliverance and brings us back into the blessing. But there's a danger, isn't there? Because if you're not careful, you can go right back through this time and time again. And I know, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but some of you can probably say, I've been there. I've gone around that cycle many times. As you look at that pattern right now, where would you find yourself at today? I hope it's at the top. And here's the key. The key is to when God's pouring out his blessings, don't get to that place where you forget God. Stay more on fire for God than ever before. Seek him like never before when God pours out his blessing. Don't get lulled away by the world pulling you into its pattern of living. That's the danger that can happen. I think people who are extremely blessed are more at danger of becoming spiritually lazy than those who are going through difficult times in life. So that's what happened to Israel. That's where we take ourselves at today in this story. Verse 3. And so this is the report from his brother and these men. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now we know that in those days walls were of extreme importance. And I do a lot of travel. My wife and I do a lot of uh, mission work and Very poor countries around the world. And walls are still extremely important. If you have anything of value, you have to have bars and walls around it. If you have nothing, you can be kind of like have like little places with nothing, but walls are extremely important. In those days, cities without walls were always ransacked, they were always taking their stuff. And so here we are, Jerusalem. The temple is there. They're wanting to establish it back as a place of worship. But yet they had no protection. Walls represented protection. And the gates, they represented wisdom. Wisdom to know who to come in and who not to let come in. But a city without walls was a city that was in a bad condition. And so you're going to see this is really going to be like a bad report. It's like, how can Jerusalem rebuild? How can they do well there? How can these people survive if they don't have any protection? Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you see the emotion of Nehemiah there? Look at his actions. He first sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. See, this moved him. This is our first and We're going to have six points today. Our first point is this, let problems motivate us to pray. When you run into a problem, when you hear bad news, let it motivate you quickly to pray. Remember the the part on the graph there, the uh, the diagram where people forget God? It's like when things happen, sometimes people just forget God. No, we want to remember God and we want to pray, we want to seek God. My wife, Barb, and I, we've been doing this for a number of years now. Whenever we hear bad news... We read it, we get a text, we, whatever happens, we hear bad news, we, we're quick. If we're close enough, we grab each other's hands. If we're not, we still, we just let's pray right now. Might be her leading the prayer, might be leading, me leading the prayer, but we pray. Most important thing we can do when we hear bad news is pray. Look at what Nehemiah didn't do. When he, when he got this bad report about Jerusalem, the walls broken down, he, he didn't complain. Oh, those foolish people there, what's the matter with them? They should have had that done by then. He didn't criticize. He didn't delegate it to someone else. He didn't ignore it. He didn't go on social media. Instead, he prayed. He prayed. He was emotional about it. Today, whether you're in Sebastian or Vieira, Melbourne here, watching online, what, do you, what problems are you facing What's keeping you awake at night? What do you get knots in your stomach about when you think about it? For some of you, it might be health issues. Some of you, it might be your, your kids are not doing well in school right now. The whole getting back this, you know the learning. And some of you might be homeschooling. And you're like, I can't handle this anymore. Some of you might want to be working from home, but you're at, back at the office. And some of you are at home want to be in an office probably. A lot of things that could be going on. Broken relationships. Maybe not making ends meet. Whatever problem you're facing today, God is the solution. We need to pray. We need to seek Him. And we need to press in. You're going to learn these six principles of prayer that's going to help you. What Nehemiah did is what you see next on the graph, on the screen. He went from a problem, then to a burden, and then to prayer and then action. Now, we won't get into the action part today. That comes next week in chapter two. But this is what he did. I'm going to compare it to one of the dramatic things that happened in our family. Barbara and I, we have three kids. They're all grown now. They're all married. We have four grandkids. And uh, our youngest daughter, Anna, this was six years ago, She was single at the time, living in her home. She had finished Bible college, and she was working here in the community. And she watched a video of the refugees coming out of the Middle East, fearing for their life because of ISIS in Syria and Iraq. And they were also coming from Afghanistan at that time, even, in Pakistan. And all these countries where they were being persecuted. and, And, you know, it was just terrible conditions. And they were coming across, getting into Turkey... And from Turkey, they were trying to get to Europe, and the closest place they could go to was a Greek island called Lesbos. You probably remember it in the news. Full of refugees yet today. 12 miles off the coast of Turkey, but it was actually part of Greece. They would be in rafts like this, what you see on the screen, loaded down. Many of the rafts would sink in the 12-mile journey. People would die. People were always drowning. But they would be trying so hard to get to some freedom. And my daughter, our daughter Anna, saw that, and it just moved her so much. She continued praying. pray. She said, I want to go, and I want to help these refugees. Now, you can imagine, Barb and I weren't too excited about it, like sending our 22-year-old over there. But she just kept praying, praying, I believe God wanted me to do it. And then she got a friend from Bible college that she had graduated with, and the both of them went over there and served for a period of time, serving in a refugee camp. And there's all kinds of stories I could share about that she saw amazing things but the hardship of these people many of them were muslims many of them were like disillusioned with their own religion because of the f- reason they had to leave their own homeland was because of fighting amongst themselves i'll never forget she said to a little girl one time said you want to see a picture of my daddy and it was a picture but it, he was he was dead that was the only picture he had of her dad because he was he was he was dead she heard many of these kids that saw family members beheaded terrible situation so she went to be the hands feet of jesus there then she came back and god wouldn't take it away and then she ended up going to a middle east country a, 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 a country where she was working with an underground church and she was literally underground because it was in the bottom of a parking garage <laughs> but she was working with refugees that were coming in there people that were getting saved barbara and i actually went and experienced it, it was it was incredible now, fast forward. She's married. She's in California. She works with her husband doing inner city uh, work with youth. But at night, she's been working with refugees. People are coming in from Afghanistan right now. The plane's coming in. In the last two weeks, she's helped two families get apartments furnished. They're completely open. She's teaching English as a second language to different refugees. And this was happened this Monday night. After class, they were sitting around talking. It was was women. And one of them shared something that happened that week where her 11-year-old son had a vision of Jesus. And one by one, these ladies started talking about the visions and dreams that they have had of Jesus. One of them seeing a whole scripture in her vision. She didn't even know it was scripture. She, She said what it said, and our daughter knew it was From Matthew 11 about come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest it was like Jesus is calling out he's he's reaching out to these people that have been somewhat unreachable but that all started with her praying and a burden that's just one person but how about each and every one of us what do you have a burden for I know across our campuses we have people who are serving in tremendous ways all over the place I think of down in Sebastian, Vivian Rowe down there as women's director. I think about here in Melbourne, somebody like Bob Scott leading our Celebrate Recovery. Or up in Vieira, Jeff Dillard leading the men's ministry. None of those are paid to do what they're doing. They're all people who are volunteering. And I could go on and on. And that's the risk when you mention names, somebody's going to think, they well, didn't mention me. I've been serving a long time. We all got to stay humble, don't we? Have a vision for your life, what you can do for God. You'll find the most fulfillment in life when you're accomplishing what God has called you to do. Years ago, I was greatly touched by a study by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And you know what he says? He said, find out what God's doing and join him. Sometimes we're like, well, what should I do? What should I do? Find out what God's doing and just join him. Find a place, get serving, do something with your life and that's where you're going to find the most fulfillment. And that's what you're going to see in the story of Nehemiah. You know what prayer does also? Prayer develops our reliance on God. Our prayer life will help us grow spiritually. That's why we, that's why we really want to encourage you to come to at least one of the, the prayer cultures. You're going to grow spiritually this week if you commit to prayer. We have it for five days, five days in our campuses, and then the next five days at home, and then the next Two Wednesday nights, but you will grow spiritually as you rely more on God. This is so important. We have taught our kids over the years when they were when we were raising our kids how important prayer is. I remember my wife; she did this every time there'd be an ambulance. Well, let's stop and pray for whoever's in that ambulance. As parents, be very careful that you don't try to fight all your your kids' battles. Teach them how to fight battles spiritually. Oh, there was times where I wanted to make some trips up to the public schools. Probably wouldn't be a pastor right now. (laughs) But you know what? Here's what we did when the kids were running into problems with so forth. I said, "Let's. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Let's trust God. Let's see Him move on this behalf." The same thing of moving from problem to prayer is so important for you parents and grandparents to teach that to your kids because that's how they're going to grow spiritually and you want them strong as adults and that starts in the the development as a a child. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 5. Then I said, Lord, and you see capital L-O-R-D, that means Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of heaven... The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So this really lends itself to the next point, is begin prayer by honoring God from a personal relationship. We know that Nehemiah had this personal relationship. First of all, he knew the name of God. He was calling on the right God. But then he talks about who keeps the covenant of love with those who love him. He loved Yahweh. He knew that God would keep, his, uh, that he would keep his covenant of love because he was trying to obey God. So that's the first thing we want to do when we start to pray is honor God. Let's not seek his hand first. Let's seek his face. Let's acknowledge him for how worthy he is, just like Nehemiah did, where he calls out and says, great and awesome God. and Then he reminds God of who keeps his covenant of love. It's a conditional promise listed there. It's a great place to start when we worship, I mean, when we pray with worship, with praise, even praying the word. Verse 6 Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. You might want to underline that part in your Bible, day and night, for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Well, this brings us to our third point. Pray with persistence. Look what Nehemiah's doing. After he starts praying, it says he's praying day and night. Persistence. Even Jesus taught in Luke 1, or excuse me, Luke 18, 1, Jesus taught his disciples to pray and never give up. And then he shared a parable about an unrighteous judge and a widow who was seeking justice, and she kept going to him. He said, pray and never give up. So important for all of us. Sometimes some of you may have learned before, and it's, it's bad theology, that you just need to pray one time. If you have faith, you don't need to pray another time. I don't don't see that. Continue to pray. Continue to ask and seek and knock. And the original uh, language is continue to ask. Continue to seek and, and knock. So it's important that we continue. Have persistence in our prayer. You know what persistence in prayer really reveals? Persistence in prayer reveals our priorities. What's really important to you? Are you continually praying for that? And sometimes we might think that we are... We're waiting on God to answer it. But I really believe this is probably more true. God's waiting on us. Remember, he's wanting to develop that reliance on him, that he's helping us to grow, to be more like him. So that persistence in prayer. And then we get our fourth point coming from this uh, part we just read, too, and that prayer must include humble self examination. We have to examine ourselves. Do we have any sin that we need to repent of? I like what Nehemiah is doing. He's repenting for the sins of the nation, but he didn't stop there. He said, including myself and my father's family. The sins, I confess the sins there in verse 6 that we have committed against you. Verse 7, we've acted very wickedly toward you. That's what sin is. It's, It's wicked against God. Let's never be entertained by sin. Let's never sugarcoat it. It's wickedness towards God. That's what sin is. See, what we need to do is, when we pray, humbly seek and say, is there something in my life that I need to, to get rid of? Do you know there are some people that can never admit they've done wrong? Never say that they've ever done anything wrong. Never say they're sorry for anything. You know, We have to be very willing to say, that's one thing, raising our kids. I, I, was, I modeled something for them. Asking for forgiveness. Because I blew it so many times. Oh, I have to go to him. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I was mad at you. I was, I, uh, I was angry. Sorry. See, there's nothing wrong with saying you we're wrong. But most importantly, we have to do that to God. And not just a confession of like, hey, I, don't, I, I did this. I shouldn't have done it. But then a, a repentance of wanting to truly change. What confession means is to agree with God and then get back lined up with Him. Look at 2 Chronicles 7:14. I just think it's a great verse before we start our, our prayer culture. This verse here. If my people, I'm trusting that's all of you, who are called by into my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not my hand, and turn from their wicked ways Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Our nation needs this, doesn't it? Like never before, our nation needs to be healed. How is that going to happen? Raise your hand up. Say this with me. Revival starts with me. It starts with me, too. That's where it starts. We have to humble ourselves and do the next verse up on the screen. Psalm 139, search me, God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what will we do? God, search me, show me. Do I have, am I doing, do I have wrong attitudes? Do I have a bad heart right now? Have I, have I rushed to judgment and judged someone unjustly? Am, am I have a secret sin that nobody knows about? But I know you know God. Uh, maybe you just kind to look the other way. No, we need to know. God, I want to get rid of that. Lead me on the way everlasting. The best way to live is when we're living complete obedience to God. That's remember where the blessings of God is at at that part. Verse eight. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Uh, i got to stop here for a moment. What Nehemiah is doing is reminding God of his word. <laughs> but you know what? That's great. When you pray, remind. Pray the scriptures. Remind God of his word. God loves to answer prayers that are biblical based on his word. And that's what he's going to do. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. and See, that's what happened. But if you return to me, there's repentance, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That place being Israel, specifically Jerusalem. So what, what is Nehemiah doing here? Well, it leads us to our fifth point. Pray the promises of God. He's praying the promise of God. God said, if you'll do this, this is what's going to happen. But if you do this, if you'll turn, then I will bring you back. What Nehemiah is actually doing is quoting from Deuteronomy 30 and Leviticus chapter 26. Any of you quoted from Leviticus lately? Nehemiah knew Leviticus. He could quote... And remind God of, this is what you said. See, do you know there's over 3,000 promises here in the Word of God? I've, I've seen reports of up to 8,000, but I didn't want to take the time to count. But I'll just take it, I'll take the low end of, of what I saw, 3,000. You know what's so important? is to know some of those promises. That when you're praying, you can remind God of those. You can say those, this is what I do when I pray for healing. Oftentimes, as pastors, we get involved in praying for healing. So here's, I'm just going to go some of the verses. In, in, I'll pray this. In Exodus 15, Lord, you said, you are the God who heals us. In Psalm 103, you said that not to forget any of your benefits, that you forgive us of our sins and heal us of our diseases. In Psalm 107, verse 20, it says, you sent your word to heal us. In Mark 16, you said, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. James 5 says, anoint with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will heal a person. And in 1 Peter, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. You should have some promises that you get down deep into you, that when you're praying, they can just roll out of you, because that's the best way to get your prayers answered, is to pray the word of God, pray the promises of God. That's what Nehemiah was doing here. And you're going to see it's going to come to pass as we move through this book. So, so important. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people, whom you've redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. He keeps calling himself servant. He's humble. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man I was a cupbearer to the king. Well, in that little part there, we are going to see our sixth and last point, and that is to pray in faith for wisdom before acting. When we pray, we need to ask God for wisdom. We don't want to act first and then pray. We want to pray. And like I said, this took four months of him praying. Do you know how long it took to rebuild the wall? This is a spoiler alert. You probably already know this, but it's going to take 52 days in the future of the the book. 52 days, but four months of prayer before anything was even begun. See, that's a good thing for us, too. Before we do anything, let's have more prayer involved with it than what it actually takes to do it. But he's very humble. And we see also there he had some other people involved because he said, Your servants. It wasn't just him praying. He got some some people together. Maybe they had a prayer culture service, okay? They brought some people together. They're praying. I like what it says in James 1. I know you know this one, but it's just a great reminder. If any of you lacks wisdom, and I'm trusting there's many people here facing decisions. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. He wants to pour out his blessing of, of wisdom to us, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So when we pray, let's ask God for wisdom. This next statement I know is a double negative sentence, but some verses are double negatives too, so I guess I'm in good company. But I I just wrote it this way. Our worst decisions will be the result of acting without prayer and knowing God's wisdom. Am I right? Any of you have decisions that you would like, wish you could have redone? Hopefully they're not sitting next to you, okay? (laughs) Shouldn't have gone there. Anyway, we all make decisions sometimes that we are like, oh, why did I do this? But we want to pray, we want to seek God's wisdom, and we want to say, this is what I know is God's will. I'm ready to act. What he did at the very end there is he was like, God, grant me favor before I go talk to the king. We'll get into that next week. It's a powerful thing what God does. But he waited until he had wisdom. He didn't just act. You know where we get ourselves in trouble? is with our logical mind. I don't need to pray about this one. I got it all figured out. I know what to do. I've, got, I've had financial decisions I've made years ago that I have like, I don't think I prayed enough over that. I wish I could redo that one. But you know what? All that does is God never slaps us over the head and says, what's the matter with you? He's like, no. Use as a learning opportunity. Next time, don't act first and then pray to get yourself out of the mess. Pray first and maybe you don't have to go into the mess. Am I right? So this is exciting with with Nehemiah. I told you it's a book of leadership and I I just wanted to uh, share next week, Pastor Brian will be back and he will be sharing in chapter two and it's such a powerful part of it. But I told you it's a lot about leadership here with Nehemiah. And look at this last statement. It's something I've used for many years as I train leaders, is that godly leadership starts with prayer and ends without it. All of us, parents in the workplace, Anywhere we're at, we are people of influence. Let's be prayed up. Let's say, where does God want to use me today? How can I lead? And we know what leadership is. It's just moving people, especially spiritual leadership, is moving people from where they're at right now onto where does God want them to be. That's leadership. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a, a business card. We are all leaders leading for Jesus Christ. We're his ambassadors, as it says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 we're his ambassadors so we are leaders now the very end there verse 10 let me go back to that he's reminding God about these people that are these exiles and he says this they're your servants your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand how did God redeem the people of Israel well he redeemed them when he brought them through the Red Sea when he sustained them through the wilderness, when he brought them into the promised land, time and time again, God redeemed them. But today, are we people redeemed by God? See, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by what took place on the cross. Now, I want to show you guys something before I close. See this little piece of rubberized material? This is a piece of one of those rafts that went across... That 12-mile channel of water for people to be rescued and saved. And my daughter said there was just a pile of these old rafts. They're all you know beaten up by the sun and the waves, And she just grabbed this piece, It's a little reminder, and of course, it's all got all these holes and so forth. But this little piece represents an item that helps save people's lives. Now, we don't have a raft today. We have a cross. We have a Savior that went to the cross to save us of our lives. The question is, are you going to be saved by following God's plan? Are you in right relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ? I know many of you are, but some of you may not be. Can you imagine if there was somebody who was in danger of dying and they didn't, they're like, I don't know if I trust that raft, I'm not going to get on it. They had to have faith to get on that raft. many of these people now have found freedom. They have new lives and so forth. And I know a lot of us can't understand. We're not refugees. We don't understand what that was like. But we have to have compassion for people. God loves those people every bit as much as he loves any one of us. But I'm just saying this. All of us need to make sure we are right with God. And that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for everyone first. But then I'm going to pray for anybody who needs to... To come back to Jesus or to give their life to Jesus Christ. I did it 40 years ago, the most important and the best decision I ever made. God rescued me from a a life of drugs and and alcohol abuse and and a, a messed up life that I would have been dead long ago if Jesus hadn't set me free and rescued me. And some of you may still be caught in the trap, the web of sin. And God's wanting to pull you out, but you have to want to. You have to want to come to Him. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank You for this message that You have given to us through Your Word in Nehemiah, teaching us how to develop our prayer life. Lord, help us to quickly shift from our problems to prayer, and not to go into anxiety and worry when we pray, or when we have problems, but Lord, help us to stay full of faith. Then Lord, help us to worship You and adore You in our prayers. Help us to pray with persistence, Lord, not give up. Help us to examine ourselves. If we've got some sin in our lives that we need to repent of, show us all right now. Make it so clear that we have some areas in our life that we need to change. It's preventing us from growing. It's preventing us from being all that God has for us and wants for us. It's blocking our relationship with you. Then, oh Lord, I just pray that we would learn how to pray the promises of God in a greater way. Lord, I also pray that you give us wisdom for whatever decisions that we're facing. And for those that are not in a right relationship with you, they know it. You know it. And you're wooing them. Your Holy Spirit's showing them right now, you need to pray. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to come back to to me. Let me just lead you in a prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. So pray this prayer if you want to. Just pray it silently. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm away from you. I know I'm feeling the consequences of my sin. But I also know that you died on the cross for all my sin. So I'm coming running back to you today, Lord. Please forgive me. I open my arms wide open to you because I know your arms are wide open for me. Let your Holy Spirit come live in me as I follow you from this day forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.